We've been working our way through the book of 1 Samuel. We're in chapter 7 this morning. Uh, and we, we know just from the discussions that we've had that a king is coming in the book of 1 Samuel. One uh, uh, chosen by God that reflects his heart. Uh, but that king hasn't come yet. See, the book of Samuel didn't start off with God sending a king, but it starts off with this preparatory work that God is doing to prepare his people for the coming of the king. We saw that it started off with, with the tears and the cries of Hannah. It started off with the birth of Samuel, one who would begin to prepare this people. We haven't heard from Samuel in a while. In fact, when we begin our passage, we'll see that it's been uh, more than 20 years have passed. And God is now beginning. He's already been at work, but we're going to now begin to see the fruit and evidence of this preparatory work in the hearts and lives of God's people as they await and anticipate and look forward to this coming king. This Preparation that we see going on in the people's lives in 1 Samuel is not something that as God's people we should think is just for them. But we're going to see that we too, as we await the return of the king, that we need to live as a people prepared. And so if you would, please look with me in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 2. And go all the way down through verse 17. If you want to follow along in one of the black Bibles there in your seats, this is on page 230. So if you would, please follow along with me in your, your copy of God's Word. Beginning there in verse 2. From the day that the ark was lodged at Kiriath-Jerim, a long time passed, some 20 years, and all of the house of Israel lamented, after Yahweh. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to Yahweh with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtoreth from among you and direct your heart to Yahweh and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtoreth and they served Yahweh only. Then Samuel said, Gather all Israel at Mizpah and I will pray to Yahweh for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before Yahweh and fasted on that day and said there, We have sinned against Yahweh. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. Now when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to Yahweh our God for us, that he may save us from the hands of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to Yahweh. And Samuel cried out to Yahweh for Israel. And Yahweh answered him. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But Yahweh thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them 
as far as below Beth Car. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shin, and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, Till now, Yahweh has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel, and the hand of Yahweh was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel from Ekron to Gath, and Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. There was peace also between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life, and he went on a circuit year by year to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah, and he judged Israel in all those places. Then he would return to Ramah, for his home was there, and there also he judged Israel, and he built there an altar to Yahweh. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, your word. Uh, You know how uh, hard it is many times for us to to not just read your word, but to understand it, to crave it, to long for it, to apply your word to our hearts. We thank you that that is not something that we produce in and of ourselves. We thank you that your spirit is at work, and we ask and pray this morning, Holy Spirit, please, please work in us. Prepare us, your people, for the coming of the King through this chapter this morning. In Christ's name, amen. We are going to see here in this uh, this passage that the lives that God's people live as they await the coming of this king should be characterized by three things. That we as God's people need to live a life of repentance. That we as God's people need to live a life of dependence. And that we as God's people need to live a life of remembrance. Repentance, dependence, remembrance. First, let's Look and see how, as we are waiting and preparing for the coming of this king, that we need to live lives that are characterized by repentance. Uh, look, look there in, in verse 2. From the day that the ark was lodged at Kiriath Jerim, a long time had passed, some 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after Yahweh. Here, we're we're seeing evidence of of a grief in the hearts and the lives of the people. What what is it that they're lamenting over after all this time? Notice, as it goes down, what Samuel brings before them is drawing their attention to their sin, to their pursuing and chasing after these other gods, and abandoning the hope that they had in their covenant God. Notice how the people respond in verse 6. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before Yahweh and fasted on that day and said there, we have sinned against Yahweh. Before this, we've seen them upset before. 
over their sin and the effects of it, before their, their grief and their frustrations surrounded uh, or revolved around their experience of the consequences of their sin, that the Philistines were persecuting them, uh, that they were dying and suffering under the hands of the Philistines, also that we saw that they were, uh, they were suffering under the disciplining hand of God. And they, they grieved over the consequences and the effects of that, but here something different has begun to happen. And it's taken a long time for Israel to get to this place, to have this kind of grief, the beginnings of repentance, a grief over their sin. Not just the consequences, not just the effects, not just the, the pain that's associated with it, not just that, that they've been found out, but over their sin and recognizing that they have sinned against their God. And here, they are crying out to him over that sin. But notice this repentance characterized by grief of their sin doesn't stop there. Look in verse 2 again. Do you see? It's saying that they, Israel was lamenting after Yahweh. This, this grief over their sin and their sin against the Lord has drawn their hearts and their attention to recognizing the distance, the broken fellowship that is between them and their God. And they're also grieving and longing for him. Not just for their punishment to be lifted, grieving over their sin and longing for God. This, this heart of grief is moving them to turn towards him. That's the second aspect of repentance that we see here. It's not just a grief over our sin, but it should move us to turn to our God. Notice, that's what Samuel calls them to do. They're lamenting after Yahweh, but notice what Samuel says in verse 3. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to Yahweh with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the asherah that are among you and direct your heart to Yahweh and serve him only. Uh, this aspect of what repentance looks like is not just a grief, but grief that leads us to turn to our God. Do you realize how incredible that even is? Well, how did the people respond before? You remember how they responded before when God's presence was among them? Their sin was exposed because they weren't honoring him. They weren't following him. They weren't respecting him as the sovereign and holy and righteous creator. They experienced his, his discipline and his punishment, and they said, get away. Get out of our community. Go down the road and go to Kiriath-Jerim. The people of Beth Shemesh didn't even want him there. But how are they responding now? After 20 years, they recognize the mercy of this God. We can turn to him. That's the, the invitation that Samuel offers. 
what grace is there in that? That this God that we have sinned against, that it is even a thing that we can turn, return to him in the midst of our sin? Who is, who is this God? What kind of grace is it that he's extending to us? That we're just not left in our grief. Not, we're not just left in his just judgment on us, but there is this invitation to grieve over our sin and to turn to him. Repentance, grieving over our sin, turning to God. But that's not complete. Notice what Samuel says. If you are returning to God with all of your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtoreth from among you and direct your heart to Yahweh and serve him only. It, it involves not just grieving over your sin and being sorry for it. It involves not just turning and wanting to be with God again, but Samuel says, if it is true repentance, if it is repentance that is coming from your heart, then you must also turn from your sin. We recognize this, don't we? Think, think about a couple that has experienced uh, infidelity. The offending spouse found out. Their sin has been exposed and they are grieving. Their, the grief over their sin as a parent, you see their tears, you see that, that just from their body posture, they are broken down. The grief is piling up over them. They recognize and realize it and they return. They come back to the spouse that they have sinned against. They plead. They want restoration. They want the marriage restored. And they're received and welcomed back in. But it doesn't take long before you find out they're still calling up the person that they were cheating on their spouse with. Their number's still on speed dial. They have conversations with them every night. You start noticing charges on the credit card. They're still going out and having dinner. They're still continuing to have this affair. They've grieved. They've returned. But they've brought this other person with them. That isn't repentance. You can't have repentance. You can't have restoration. You can't have reconciliation if all three of these aren't there. The grief, the turning to God, and as Samuel tells us, the turning from our sin. What about you and me? As we think about living a life preparing for the king to come. Jesus brings this same message. He announces that the kingdom is in our midst, that it is coming. And what does he call the people to? Repentance. Repent, for the kingdom of God 
is at hand. Jesus here isn't telling us, and Samuel isn't calling us and saying, it is by your perfect repentance that you will be saved and redeemed. For who of us can perfectly repent? Do you recognize, do I recognize the depth of my sin? Could I ever grieve enough over how I've sinned against my God? Would I ever be able to turn to my God with my full heart? Would I ever be able to hate and turn and reject all of my sin and come just to him? No. We always and only can come through the sovereign work and grace of God in our lives. Repentance itself is a gift granted to us, his people. But notice here, if we are, as God's people, going to exercise repentance as he calls us to, we still need to strive to see these three things there because we are called to live a life of repentance. You don't just enter into the Christian life by repentance and faith, turning from your sin and turning to God. We see here that it should characterize our life. We are those who are ongoing, living out a life of repentance. As we realize our sin, as we grieve and hate it more and more and more. Are are you grieving over your sin? Are you hating it? Not just that you got caught. Not just that you're upset with yourself because you've sinned again. Not just because of the consequences you're experiencing, but because you realize your sin is against your good and gracious Heavenly Father. Do you realize the grace that is there? That He is inviting you to return to Him. Come. Hear that call. Hear that invitation. Hear that grace of repentance on offer. And turn. Turn from your sin. Hate what God hates. Turn from what would turn your heart to anything or anyone other than him. Do you not realize who he is and what he has done for you and me? That that he would suffer and die the punishment you and I deserve. How, How in the world could we turn from this, God? As we prepare and live our lives before our God, And awaiting the coming of the king, we should be those whose lives are characterized by repentance. It's not just repentance that we see here. It's also dependence. Notice what happens as they begin to to move forward and mature and to grow in exercising repentance. You see what happened in verse 7? Now, when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. Notice, in the midst of Samuel offering up these offerings of repentance and prayer before the Lord, notice what happens. In verse 10. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack. 
Have you ever experienced the same thing? When you are beginning to, uh, to grow and mature in the Christian life, when you're recognizing your sin and seeking to turn to the Lord, repenting, seeking to follow after him, to put to death these things that have distracted you and that your heart has gone after, that the battle gets even more intense, that there's persecution and hardship and difficulty on the outside. It isn't easy. What do we do in the midst of this increased hardship and difficulty from without when we're seeking to respond to God's grace and his mercy? How how do we see the people respond here? How do they bear up? Because it tells us they were afraid. What do they do? Look in verse 8. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to Yahweh our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to Yahweh. And Samuel cried out to Yahweh for Israel. And Yahweh answered him. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack, but Yahweh thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. Here, the people begin to live and exercise and show a life that is characterized by dependence. Remember how they responded before in the midst of their attack and their suffering and their difficulty and their hardship? They tried to manipulate God through their actions, thinking that through the things that they could do by manipulating the ark or bringing it in, that they could come directly in the presence of God and force him to work and move. But here we see a completely different people. They're changed. They recognize their deep and total need for God. They can't do it on their own. Do you know what it feels like and looks like to be dependent? Of course you do. Many of you, every morning you wake up and there's something you know that you need. You know that the day is just not going to go right if you don't have it. You'll experience difficulty and hardship The day will be harder. You don't even know if you will be able to make it past 9 o'clock. If you don't get it, the effects begin, begin to feel it in your body and in your mind and deep in your soul and in your heart. It affects how you uh, relate to other people and respond to what's going on. Without having it, you seem to, to lack joy or significance. Coffee. We... Go through three whole big urns of it over here every Sunday morning. You know by experience what it looks like to show dependence upon something. And when you need it, to go after it. And to recognize in your heart and in your life when you aren't getting what you desperately need and must have. And the people of Israel finally realize that. We need our God. 
They have a life that is characterized by dependency upon him. And in their fear, they don't go to what they can do. They don't try to depend and trust in themselves. They immediately go to God. But notice how they do it. Do you notice they didn't go directly to him? It doesn't say that Israel called out to God. What does it say? Look in verse 8. The people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to Yahweh our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. It goes on. It emphasizes this in verse 9. Samuel cried out to Yahweh for Israel. They recognized something about themselves. Whereas before, they were bold enough to think that they could just enter into the presence of God. Here they recognize that as a humble, dependent people, we are also dependent upon the mediator that God provides for us to come into his presence, for us to relate to him. Do you notice that's always been the way that God has related to humanity? Always through a mediator? Abraham, Melchizedek, Moses, Aaron, here, Samuel. And that continues to be the way that we as God's people relate to him through our perfect mediator, Jesus. There's only one mediator between God and man, the God-man, Jesus. Do you know that you in and of yourself, we already heard it asked the question this morning, can you stand in the presence of God? No, not in and of yourself. You are desperate for someone to take you there, to go between you and your holy and righteous God. Who is it? Jesus. And in Jesus, you can thoroughly and boldly go into his presence And just as we see here, resting and trusting in God, approaching him through his mediator, it's effective. Samuel cries out on behalf of Israel. God answers and delivers and saves his people. We, as God's people, can only and will always relate to our God through his perfect mediator, Jesus Christ. There will never be a time in your life when you will not relate and come before God's presence only through Jesus. You will never have a righteousness of your own that enables you in and of yourself to come before him. We must recognize how dependent we are upon our covenant mediator, upon Jesus. We need him. Our lives must be characterized by dependence upon Christ. We will always and only be found in Christ Jesus. And that is good news. Because when we are found in him and represented by him and covered by his righteousness, God will always, eternally, and forever be pleased with us, his people. 
What does it look like for you to exercise and live a life that is characterized not just by repentance, but by dependence upon your God and your mediator, Jesus Christ? Coming before him, seeking him, craving him, recognizing, I can't live the Christian life out in my own strength. You weren't saved by grace through faith and then said, all right, go out and do it yourself. You will only and always be able and only able to live out the Christian life in dependency upon Christ. That's why he's given us his word. The word of Christ, speaking to the people of Christ, applied to our hearts by the spirit of Christ to transform us. We've been given prayer to come into the presence of our God who hears us because of the blood of Christ, who our mediator still intercedes on our behalf, Jesus, and his prayers are effective and will always be answered according to the will of God for you and me, his people. We, as God's people, as we await the coming of Christ, we must live a life that's characterized by repentance, living a life that's characterized by dependence. We must not become confused in thinking that maturity looks like a life of independence. That may be case. What you're hoping and dreaming for now, if your uh, kids are still living in your house, hoping for the day of independence. Maybe as you're a teenager, you're like, man, I can't wait till I'm out on my own. But what if you thought you would be an empty nester, and your 30, 40-year-old kid is still living with you, independent upon you. It's not normally how we think it should work. But guess what the Christian life is? What maturity in the Christian life looks like? Growing more and more in dependence. That is what maturity looks like. Repentance, dependence, and lastly, a life of remembrance. Look in verse 12. Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shin and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, till now, Yahweh has helped us. Ebenezer, it's a, a, it's a, a term that means stone of help. He's putting up a marker. He's wanting Israel to remember something about this moment about who God is and what he has done. Why? What did we just hear? As they lived repentant before God and dependent before God, he answered, he moved. What does it tell us happened? In verse 10, Yahweh thundered with a mighty sound that day. He threw the Philistines into confusion. They were defeated. The men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far below as, as, far, far as below Bethkar. Then it goes on and it tells us the Philistines were subdued and did not enter the territory of Israel in verse 13. The hand of Yahweh was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel from Ekron to Gath. Israel delivered the territory from the hand of the Philistines. There was peace also between Israel and the Amorites. Why is all of this possible? Because God has been present with them. He has been working. And Samuel says, you must remember this. 
maybe right now it looks like God has been helping. I mean, that's what Samuel says, right, in verse 12. He called its name Ebenezer and said, Till now, Yahweh has helped us. But I wonder if anybody there was thinking, why are you calling this Ebenezer? Samuel, don't you remember what happened in Ebenezer about 20 years ago? Back in verse 1 of chapter 4, it was in Ebenezer where thousands of us were slaughtered. It was in Ebenezer where we went out again with your ark and we were slaughtered even worse and the ark went into captivity. Was God with us then? Was he our help then? Why would you name this stone of remembrance and bring back that memory? Unless, unless what Samuel is seeking to do is to help us shape and orient and remember properly. Because it doesn't always seem like God has been our help till now. But what has brought about this state in the heart and the lives of God's people, of those who now recognize their need for their God and they're calling out and hoping and resting in him? Was it not this period of time of discipline, of hardship and difficulty that the Lord used and over 20 years was patient with them and faithful towards them and working and moving so that they would come to this place and see and be able to look back and interpret it and see, oh, he was there. We needed that. I'm glad his help took that form and not what I was thinking because we were thinking what we mostly needed was deliverance from the Philistines, but what God knew and the help that he gave was a deeper work to deliver us from our hard-heartedness, from our sin, from our addiction to these other gods, and move us to be dependent and resting and hoping on him. Do you realize that what Samuel says here, till now Yahweh has helped us, that'll never not be true. There will never be a time in your life where you, as a people of God, hoping in God and his grace and his mercy, can never say, till now he's been my help. That'll always be true. For eternity, when Jesus returns, we will be able to say, till now he has been our help. We don't always think that, though. Can you proclaim that and hope in that and remember and trust in that now and say, now, right now, God is my help. Even when you look back over the things that confuse you and don't make sense that you know that God has been your help and he is with you. Maybe that's why Samuel keeps doing this circuit from 15 down to 17. All the days of his life, he went on a circuit year by year, Bethel, Gilgal, Mizpah. Why? Because as God's people, 
One stone's not enough. We need to constantly be reminded and pointed back through the Word of God, proclaimed to the people of God, through the prophets of God, to remind us of His character, of His goodness, of our need for Him. Constantly being reminded, till now He has been your help. Are we listening to the words of God's prophets? To Samuel? To Moses? To Jesus? God is with you. Do you doubt His love? Do you look back in your life and are there things you want to forget because you have questions like the psalm we looked at before? Where were you? Where are you? May we know from the love of God shown to us in Christ that God is with us even when it doesn't seem like it. May we as his people live a life of repentance, live a life of dependence, and live a life of remembrance as we await the sure coming of our King. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your grace to us, your people. We thank you that you do not give up on us who have short memories, who love to be independent, and who struggle so hard to repent. Draw us to you. Give us ears to hear that we might grow in repentance and dependence never forgetting to remember who you are and what you've done for us. In Christ's name, amen.